Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Tim Bratz. Tim, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. Appreciate you having me here. Absolutely. So why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Cool. Yeah, I'm Tim Bratz out of the Cleveland, Ohio market. Um, man, I've done a little bit of everything, but uh, we have a turnkey team that flips about 100 houses a year. We own a property management company, one of the largest in Northeast Ohio, and I own apartment buildings. So we have a uh, uh, four, a little over 430 units right now. And, um, you know, this is, this is, uh, um, getting into the new year. We've been doing a lot of goal setting and, and what we really want to spend our time on. The reason I got involved in real estate was for the passive income piece. And so, uh, we're in a position now where we can actually stop flipping and, and, uh, um, you know, doing transactional real estate and just focus on our own apartment buildings. So, um, moving into the new year, man, we're just we're not flipping any more houses in 2018. We're actually getting rid of the management company, handing that piece off, and uh, we're just 100% dialed in on uh, growing our apartment building. So we're looking to pick up about 1,200 units in uh, in 2018. Awesome. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you get started in real estate investing? Yeah, so I'm I'm 32 now and um, got involved in real estate like when the market was going crazy in 03 to 07 is when I was in college and people were like, Hey, if you want to make a lot of money, get involved in real estate. So I interned with uh, a big builder, like had my own little painting company um, in between uh, college. And then after college, I moved out to New York city. My brother was living there and, and uh, became a commercial real estate agent. So I represented, you know, businesses that wanted to expand, open a second location or a landlord who had, some ground floor retail space that they needed to lease out and um, came in from that perspective, closed a couple of leases and realized, I was like, oh man, there's a way more money in owning real estate versus brokering real estate and it's passive. So um, I, I had kind of like a mindset shift there where I decided to up, uproot myself, move down to Charleston, South Carolina and uh, you know, just started to invest in real estate. So, um, you know, at, at the time I was like 20, two years old, 23 years old, and didn't have any money. I had maybe like five, six, seven, eight grand max saved up to my name um, from closing a couple of leases. Uh, and I had a credit card with like a two or $3,000 limit on it. Um, but, you know, as I was going through this, this whole researching and trying to learn as much as I possibly could, um, one of the gurus is like, oh yeah, you can just call up your credit card company and ask them to increase your credit limit. So I remember calling up my credit card company and asking them to increase my limit from like $2,000 to $100,000. And uh, the lady on the phone just laughed at me and she's like, I can't do that. You need to submit tax returns and all this other stuff. I was like, well, what can you give me right now? And uh, they increased my limit just over the phone to $15,000, And so, you know, I, I, I guess a lesson there, well, back up. So then I went and searched the entire MLS. This is after the market crashed and still the cheapest house in all of Charleston was like 25 grand. So I was able to get that under contract for 14, put my own money into it, did my own work, changed out the lights, put, you know, lipstick on the pig kind of thing. And then didn't know how to sell a house. So I just knocked on doors, went up and down the street 
and um, uh, found somebody who lived a block over who was willing to buy the house for like $33,000 and I made about 13 grand in like 75 days on that. And so I think, you know, I think one of the morals of that story was uh, even if you don't have resources, you could be resourceful and resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. Meaning if you can go find a way, if you're a problem solver, you can get through not having any money. You can get through not having any time. You can get through not having any contacts and, um, and be able to push through those ceilings in order to accomplish your goals. So that's one of the things that I think I was able to do uh, looking back and, and, and a trait that I had was able to execute on that really helped me out, you know, getting started. I mean, we all go through that analysis paralysis phase of not sure, you know, oh, I need to learn everything before I actually roll into it. You're going to learn more from doing your first deal than you can in all the books you can read out there. So, right. um, yeah, man, that's kind of how I got started, though. Yeah, I, I always say as real estate investors, we're problem solvers. You know, we're, we're either solving a distressed property, a financial distress of a motivated seller, that's that's kind of our, our true job is solving problems. So that's pretty awesome that you figured that out on your first deal. After you completed that first deal and you made the $13,000, how did you transition? What did you do next? So then I, I learned a little bit more about like wholesaling. I did a couple more like little low end ones. I did another one and made like $1,500 on that because I screwed something up, but I still made some money on it. And then I got into like the, the whole idea of wholesaling, contracting a property, selling the contract, taking a fee without using any of your own money or, or credit, and um, did quite a bit of that. And, and you know, just trying to figure it out, trying to meet people who, who were buying properties. And eventually, it came to a point where I met people who were like, "Hey, Tim, listen, you know what a deal looks like. Okay, you've done enough of these things." And they're like, "My issue is, I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. Like, I don't have. I don't I, like." to go out and find deals, but I do have money. So then they would approach me just because I was I was good. I, I'd only send out good wholesale deals. Like I wouldn't bring crappy deals to anybody in the marketplace. So that way my emails always got answered. You know, my phone calls always got picked up. So when I, when I brought deals of somebody and they're like, hey, listen, man, I just don't have the bandwidth to take on any more projects right now, but how about I put up the money, you do all the work and we'll split it 50-50. And so, that's what I started doing. I actually partnered up with a handful of different private money guys or investors who, who had access to capital. They went out and got the money or had their own money. And then I just did 100% of the work, meaning like I did, I found the deals. I uh, negotiated the contracts. I went in. Sometimes I did the work or my team did the work and painted and cleaned up. We'd lease out the property. We'd screen tenants, we'd manage the property on an ongoing basis, or we'd find a buyer on the back end to uh, to retail it to, we'd list the property with an agent, go through that entire process, and um, gave up 50% of the deal, probably for the first, probably like two, two to 250 to 300 deals. My first 300 deals, I gave up anywhere from 50% to 67% of, of the equity in the deal, just to be able to build a resume. I realized that I needed to build a resume. I need to like have a background and um, have some deals under my belt in order to go into other private lenders or banks and be able to posture up. You know, you can't puff out your chest if you're like, hey, I've only done one deal or two deals. So I, I realized that kind of early on that it's better to have 50% of a watermelon than it is to have 100% of a grape. Does that make sense, RJ? Yeah. So do you are you happy with that decision that you made that you gave up that much of the equity or the net profit on those deals? Is that a decision that you're happy that you made? 
Dude, it's, it's, it's brought me to a spot where I come from a place of abundance versus scarcity. People get, you know, tricked up on, hey, what's the percentage that I'm going to make in this deal or whatever. Like, let's just go do a deal together. Let's both make have a win under our belt and then we can go do more. Um, I, I think when you come from a mindset like that, one plus one equals three versus, you know, the, the some of the parts kind of thing. Right. So I, I am happy I, I did that. Uh, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't do that for the, my entire life. You know, now I talk to my private lenders and I pay them eight, 10, 12% on their money. And they're happy because I, I'm a safe investment. When you go and raise private capital, the number one thing that the private lenders asking themselves about you is, does this person have the fortitude to pay me back? It's about the return a little bit. It's about, you know, the asset that you're, that you're backing the money with, but more importantly than anything else is does this person have the fortitude to pay me back? Do they have the experience? Are they the kind of person who's going to go work third shift at Burger King uh, if the market tanks just to make sure that I get my money back um, you know, down the road? Like That's more important to a lender than the actual asset. I have private lenders today that trust me inherently, that have given me millions of dollars that are unsecured, meaning it's not even attached to a property. I sell a property, they're like, dude, just roll it into another property. Don't even send me more documents. Just find another deal, keep on making payments to me. Because they know that I have the fortitude to repay them. I know what I'm doing. I've built a track record from those 300 deals that I can show them, hey, we, we had 300 wins and I'm not a greedy guy. And because of that, it is so easy for me to raise private capital uh, today and do deals today because I was able to do a lot of deals. So I'm kind of like, I'm bigger than all the, all the all the small investors. I'm not an institutional buyer by any means doing $150 million deals. But honestly, man, any, anything from $500,000 to $50 million probably comes to me first or definitely I'm, I'm in the top you know, half dozen buyers in Cleveland and uh, some of the other markets that I do business in. So, um, no, I think it was a good idea. And uh, unfortunately, I went back to those partners who I gave up that much equity to and uh, they got a little bit greedy. Um, and I said, hey, guys, you know, you know your money's safe. I'd like to just kind of like renegotiate some of this stuff and, um, you know, maybe have a little bit more equity for me and my family. So a little bit more meat on the bone for my team. So that way, uh, you know, we can continue to grow. They got a little bit greedy. So we ended up parting ways and uh, I haven't done deals with, with those guys anymore. Um, but there's so many other investors out there, like especially right now, man, there's so much money out there with the way the economy's rolling and the stock market and, um, at, you know, low interest rates. And, and the, the thing is, is people don't know how long that's going to last for. So they want to park it in something stable. They want to park it in something like real estate. And uh, if you have a track record, it's not hard to go and raise capital. Absolutely. How did you, what caused you to transition from Charleston, South Carolina to Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio? So I'm from Cleveland originally. Um, and uh, I, I was dating a girl from college. Uh, long distance. She was in uh, Ohio, and love is a many splendored thing, RJ. And uh, got, eventually got engaged in uh, in 2012, married in 2013, and uh, she didn't want a long distance marriage, believe it or not. So I decided to move <laughs> back to Cleveland and um, set up shop here. So it's been good. I still own property in um, South Carolina and Georgia. Uh, majority of my holdings are actually down there. I have um, almost. I don't know, 370 units, I think, down there. And then I have another 75, uh, almost 100 units up here in, in Ohio. When you made that move, were you concerned about the market being different in Cleveland than it was in South Carolina? Uh, a little bit. You know, I mean, once you know how to 
how to vet a deal and you know what your what your ratios are i mean like they're not it's not like new york city and cleveland ohio it's not like you know california and whatever sheboygan wisconsin like the, it, they're not that far off the southeast and the midwest are can both be kind of cash flow states they have similar um like retail formulas that you use for buying property. So like I got to be all in at 65% of the after repair value. Um, that's the same thing in South Carolina as it is up here. Now, now, now Charleston's a pretty hot market right now. So people are probably buying at 75% of ARV, 70, 75% ARV. But um, yeah, and uh, it, no, it didn't, it didn't really scare me. I, I did a little bit of everything though. Like I did have to get in and, try out low-end rentals. I tried out low-end retail flips. I tried out high-end retail flips. I bought a couple duplexes, bought an eight-unit apartment building. And after that first year that I came back, I kind of assessed. You know, I, you, every, every year at the holidays, I sit back, man, I watch uh, uh, The Men Who Built America. If you guys haven't seen that series, it's amazing. And uh, really takes your thinking to the next level. And then I do goal setting in between Christmas and New Year's every year. So I remember after that first year, I, I sat back and I looked at where were we making money. And um, I took a look at what the percentage uh, profit was on our retail flips, on the turnkey flips, on the high-end flips, on the low-end flips, and then on uh, like flipping apartment buildings. So we, we ended up like buying an eight-unit apartment building, fixing it up, and then reselling it. And um, I remember looking at it and being like, I'm making the exact same amount on the flip, like from a from a resale stamp, like a, a sales price to a purchase price, or like all-in price. I was making about 30%, let's say, profit. But the difference was I had all these holding costs with vacant retail flips that I did not have with my apartment buildings and turnkey holdings. So I I looked at that and I was like, if you add that in, I'm making 50, 60% return on my investment versus 30% return on my investment. Um, and so I was like, that's a better deal. And it's less stressful because at the end of the day, if the property doesn't sell, my apartment building doesn't sell, I don't care because I still have cash flow coming in from it that covers all my expenses and puts a great return in my pocket. So I, that's why I really like the turnkey model. Um, and I was focused on apartment buildings. And um, but what, what was cool was I still had a lot of people reaching out to me on like turnkey single family. So um, it turned into like a significant business where um, we did it, you know, over a hundred properties in, in 2015 and, uh, rolling in 2016, started our own management company. And, um, it's just, you know, we did the, all the transactional stuff, but I really got involved in real estate to buy and hold my own apartment buildings, really build long-term wealth in that piece. And, um, and so that's what we're, that's what we're focused on now. So again, we're, we're not doing any more retail flips in 2018. Um, we're, we're going to try to hand off the management company to, uh, a partner of ours let them run the entire management company. And then my team's just gonna be 100% focused on growing our apartment portfolio. Awesome. So let's let's shift from your story and let's dive into a couple of things that you've touched on. Uh, specifically speaking, raising private capital. For our listeners who have built that track record and that resume, but maybe are struggling to raise private capital, what are some of the ways that they can get their resume out there in front of people and actually raise private capital. Sure. So, I, you know, it's chicken or egg kind of thing. Like, how do I do a deal if I don't have access to money? And what I did is I just partnered up with people who had money, gave them a lot of the equity in the project. And uh, but you got to be good at finding good deals. Like, there needs to be enough juice in the squeeze in order to do that. 
Um, and, you know, going to the different RIA, uh, Real Estate Investors Associations, you'll find some of the people, some of them are really good, some of them are junk, but you're going to find some people who are doing some things in, uh, in that, that avenue or people who at least know people. Um, getting plugged into the different, any sort of real estate associations, uh, finding people on Facebook, social media who are doing real estate in your, in your market. And um, the best private lenders, that, I, I'm not saying necessarily that they're the best private lenders, but they're good people to start partnering with, saying, hey, I'll, I'll be on your team. You don't have to pay me other than on the back end of the deal, and I'll do all the work. You know? And by, by making that kind of a commitment to them, they'll go out and raise the money, and then that builds your track record. Now, once you have a track record, then you go call up your CPA. You know, my CPA has referred so many private lenders to me because they know everybody who's got money and who needs write-offs and who needs more income and has some cash set aside. Like CPAs are phenomenal with that. Um, and then any other business owner, the business owners are the best private lenders I've I've worked with. They know th that there's market cycles. Um, they're busy in their own business, so they're not calling you every single week or twice a week trying to find out what's going on with the deal. Um, they let you just do your thing uh, and and pay them. You know, a passive monthly piece that they're happy with, and uh, when, when you know when you find another deal, you roll into another project, and, and they're always very open. If if you know shit hits the fan per se, you can have an open conversation with them and say, hey, RJ, you know, you know, deal kind of went south, or because the market shifted, here's the game plan. I'm gonna put in Plan B, and I need an extension of three months. Yeah, you do, no problem. I understand business. Go ahead and do that. You know, and, and if you have an open conversation with those private lenders. Uh, who are business owners, it's just an easier conversation to have. So um, here's the other thing is I, I built up a buyer's list, meaning um, how do you build a buyer's list? Like who are the people buying in your marketplace? And a lot of those people are transitioning in their business one way or another, like me. I'll give you an example, like me personally. I started out flipping houses, didn't have any private money to lend, but I'm on a bunch of people's buyer's lists, okay? Um, I was flipping houses, then I got into apartment buildings, and then all of a sudden, you know, when I liquidated a bunch of our assets a couple of years ago um, with, with that former partnership, I had a windfall of cash, and I couldn't place all of it, so I started lending private money. So there's people who are on your buyer's list, and real estate's all about timing, and that sometimes they have not a lot of cash, can't really lend money. Other times they have a ton of cash and they're trying to lend money and they can't lend enough money. So it's all about timing. Build up your buyer's list. And keep those people. I just I don't use Podio. I don't use um, you know RealFlow. I don't I don't use any of those software systems. I use an Excel spreadsheet. Like I'm super old school. Um, nobody on my team like all we use is Excel spreadsheets, Word docs, you know, to create overview like marketing overviews of our stuff. Like it's it's very simple structure that we use. And um, and I think a lot of business owners and private lenders appreciate that because we don't overcomplicate things. So, um, you know, build up a buyer's list. Put their name in an Excel spreadsheet along with their contact information, maybe some notes of you know what they're looking to buy. And if they're looking to get into apartment buildings and all of a sudden you come across an apartment building, and you're like, hey, RJ, I got this awesome apartment building. Um, I don't really want a wholesale fee on it or anything, but I want to become your partner. You know, will you give me 10% of the project just for finding it and I'll help do some work on it. And again, it then all of a sudden, hey, by the way, I'm a partner in this 30-unit apartment building. And all of a sudden you can take a little bit more posture when you go into the room and go talk to other private lenders because you have uh, deals under your belt. So uh, building the buyer's list, reaching out to them for private money, reaching out to your CPA for private money, um, asking for referrals. Like I do a lot of stuff on social media, just like talking about real estate. So people know me as a real estate guy in Cleveland. Um, whenever they want to get involved in real estate, they shoot me a message. Asking your current private lenders 
for referrals. Hey, who else do you know who might be interested in, you know, uh, partnering up on this? I don't, and again, I don't like have a formal presentation. I talk to people about partnering up on it, whether they're going to get equity or not, or they're just like going to get a debt piece, meaning like a 12% interest or 15% interest. I talk to them like they're my partner. Hey, listen, man, we're in this together. Let's uh, let's go do a deal together. Let's go make some money together. And I make it real nonchalant because if you if you make it a big deal, it'll be a big deal in the lender's head. and They're going to want to bring in attorneys and all this other stuff. If you don't make it a big deal and you're like, hey, listen, you throw up the money. I'll do all the work and we'll sell it. And we'll split it 50 50. You know, how's that sound? Sounds pretty good to me. Great. And then you can put some pretty rudimentary documents together. Um, obviously, talk to your CPA and your your uh, attorney on all that stuff. But um, like we have we have one page promissory notes and, and uh, one and a half page mortgage. And that's that's all we do. Um, I don't personally sign on any of my promissory notes, meaning I'm not personally liable. My company is, but not me personally. Um, you know, little tricks of the trade like that. Like. How about being resourceful? You guys ever Google searched private lenders in, you know, Texas, private lenders in California, hard money lenders in Cleveland, Ohio? Like, do a Google search. Like, there's so many people who are like, I can't find money. Have you ever Google searched private lenders in your community? A laundry list of people will come up, or at least a handful that you can go to, and and uh, um, they're out there. I mean, money's not the hard part right now. Finding deals. So if you can get awesome at finding deals, um, you'll you'll get the money too. Exactly, and. One other thing that I'll add to that is, is like you, you talked about getting your name out there on social media and things along those lines. You know, I've been able to raise private capital just by talking about some of the deals that I've done. You never know who is sitting on a stack of cash ready to lend it to you. For sure. I've had another investor ask me, well, tell me about a rental property in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, you know, and I just picked one random one. I'm like, I bought it for seventy five thousand. It needed like five thousand in repairs. I rent it for twelve fifty a month. And he goes, Dude, I'll do those all day long with you. I'll give yep. you all the cash for it. Wasn't even asking him for money. He yep. brought he was he was, you know, drooling over the the opportunity to work with us on those rental properties. And so you never know where the opportunity is gonna come from. But getting your resume out there, talking about it, like you said, put it on social media, talk about it with your friends. You never know where private capital can come from. And, and, and two things that that you hit on were phenomenal. Uh, I don't know if uh, like some people might not have caught it, but like look what you do. You interview other people and talk about their deals. That gives you credibility in the marketplace. So even if somebody never has done a deal before, what if they just went and did a Facebook Live with all the people – who were doing deals in that marketplace and posting on their social media, all of a sudden they look like somebody who's a credible expert in real estate because they're interviewing people who are doing deals. They're talking about other people's deals. So like you don't have to have your own deals even in order to like build that credibility up. And, and uh, uh, the other thing is like there's, there's fishing and there's hunting strategies in finding deals and finding private money. And, um, and, and if you think of it that way, like if you go hunt the prey – what does the prey do? The prey runs away. So when you when you take like a a desperate attempt to try to find private money, the prey is like, hey, you know, you sound a little bit desperate in your voice. People can private lenders can ham or can hear that, and uh, they're not really interested in lending private money to somebody who's desperate for private money. But if you put the lure in the water and you're more of a fishing strategy, like you just said um, with this gentleman out of Fort Worth, hey, like like I'm not even trying to recruit private money. 
I'm just talking about deals. I'm just being the expert. I'm just helping other people, telling them about some exciting things that we got going on. And all of a sudden, they're going to start coming to you. Like you're going to start attracting people who have money, who are asking you. Like I have more money right now than I can place. Like all because I do that, because I do the social media stuff, because people are like, hey, Brats, you got a deal for me? Or you're like, can I lend you some money? Let's do an apartment deal together. I'm like, hey, man, let, you know, let me see. I got a couple of them. But it's, it's that whole you chase the girl in high school um, that you really, really like and she wants nothing to do with you, you know, and it's the girl that that likes you and is chasing you that you want nothing to do with, you know, and uh, it's it's like that kind of a dynamic with private money, I think, too. Um, you know, so so again, don't chase, don't scare people away. Just I drop liners in there. Um, there were a couple of guys that I knew who had a lot of money and I knew them for four or five, six years. These guys made probably $1.82 million a year um, and had nothing to do with it. They just had it sitting in bank accounts, $250,000 in all these different bank accounts. And, um, and, and they always asked me about real estate, but I never once asked them for private money for five years. And then they approached me and brought $1.3 million. Hey, hey, dude, I need to place this money. Let me give you $1.3 million. Can you do something with it? And they, and they loaned me $1.3 million and I turned it into, you know, help, help me um, expand my, my investment, my apartment portfolio. So, um, again, just putting it out there, like it, it takes a little bit of time, but if you do need deals right now, or if you, if you have deals right now and you do need money right now, just Google search private money lenders, hard money lenders. Like those people are expecting your phone. So I would try to do some deals with them, pay a little bit more, um, on the front end, and then you can raise private capital versus like hard money and, uh, keep a little bit more of the deal for yourself down the road. So well the way I'll wrap this part of the interview up is going back to that investor that I was talking about that asked me about just one deal that I was doing in DFW. He actually saw you post on Facebook that you might have an apartment complex available in Dallas Fort Worth. And he tagged me in the post. <laughs> and then that's when I said, Hey man, I might be interested in buying that apartment complex from you. So that's another investor based out of California. Yep. who asked me about a deal in Fort Worth that I was doing. And then a couple of months later, he's seeing you post uh, an apartment complex for sale that you might have for sale in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. I mean, it's amazing how if you just put your name out there and, and you network with people, how real estate can kind of come to you. Like you're talking about fishing instead of hunting. Yeah, dude, social so, media is so powerful. It is so, like I have people, I don't even know who the hell they are, man. Like these are just friends on Facebook. They friended me, maybe I friended them. Um, like like you can have up to 5,000 friends on Facebook. There's no reason, like I don't, I, I'm not there yet, but I'm adding like 250, 300 people a month to my Facebook trying to get up there. Uh, Cause I, I'm, I'm very strategic. Like I want business owners and I want, I want real estate people, entrepreneurs right. kind of on my, on my group. So I don't want, I don't just um, accept anybody's uh, uh, friend request, but I, um, but dude, like there's people, there's a kid who posted today at, uh, you know, this is things going around like, Hey, tag some people who made a big impact on your life in 2017. I don't even know who this kid is. I mean, we, we interact on Facebook a little bit, but he's like, dude, Tim Bratz, man, you made a, a huge impact on my life in 2017, just following your posts and following what you're doing and uh, a real inspiration to me. Along, like, dude, there were, there were only like 10 people on this list and um, he's never even met me before. And so think about how powerful that is on social media. Like, right. it, it's not hard to create content. If, if you're reading a book or you're watching a, a seminar or you're walking through a house and you're just like, just create a little bit of value, put some value out there. 
that people can then know that you're a real estate investor. First of all, if, if you're not promoting yourself, who's going to, who else is going to promote you? You know, who's going to lend you money if they don't even know that you're doing real estate. So you got to put that piece out there and then, um, and then just provide value. Just give like as much value as you possibly can uh, to people. So I post quotes on books that I'm reading, thoughts on books, books that I'm reading. You know, if I go to a mastermind event or a conference or something, I get a, uh, an awesome takeaway. Um, I'll post that and just be like, hey, you know, something awesome about health, awesome about lifestyle, awesome about wealth building. Mine's more like lifestyle and, and wealth centric than it is um, and health and like a good family, like all encompassing versus just real estate. And I think that that appeals to a lot of people. And um, so when I'm on vacation, man, I take pictures of what I'm doing and spending time with my daughter in the middle of the day and uh, when everybody else is at work and like that, that it's attractive to people. So um, I think the, the social media piece, man, I think you're doing an awesome job with it and uh, with these podcasts too. And, and I think, you know, and everybody can, has the opportunity to do that if they're willing to put in the work. So, but you never know what, what you're going to post on Facebook, what impact it's going to have on somebody's life. And it's like you said, that, that gentleman who, who said you made an impact on him in 2017, that's amazing. And even like today, before this interview, you had a post about this, this mindset shift that you have, or you went to a mastermind group and, and one of the things that they kind of challenged you to do was to take a ice cold shower every morning because it was going to invigorate you and, and start your day and you, you had a picture of Wolverine like busting out of the water <laughs> and, and you and I kind of joked back and forth about it. But I'm going to be honest with you, man. Like when you, when you posted that, I, I immediately told myself like, if it truly works, like if you come busting out and like you start off your day, most people start their day out kind of sluggish. Right. And you hear mm-hmm. everybody needs their coffee and to wake up. And my first thing I do is take a shower in the morning. So if I'm going to start off my day invigorated and ready to tackle the day, then that's going to be something I try. 100%. And, and that's like just a random post that you did today, but that could change how I start my day for like the rest of my life. If yeah. it's something that I implement mm-hmm. and that is the power of social media and it, and it can carry over in your business, into your, your mindset. I am just like you, man. I'm adding a ton of people to my Facebook, but I'm very, very strategic about who it is. Like I want people that are feeding my Facebook feed with things that are going to make a positive impact on my life. Yep. And, and so it it sounds like you have an abundance mindset. What do you give credit to that? What, what made you that way? Oh man, um, you know, I, I, it's a good question. I, um, you know, you read some of the books. It's hard to have an abundance mindset when you're struggling. Like, dude, my my story is not always good. I'm 2012, man. I was I was so broke. Um, I was borrowing money from family to pay the minimum payment on my credit cards. I was. I remember one time my credit card was maxed out. I had no money in the bank. I actually had to pay for gas with the coins in the cup holder of my car. And uh, it's pretty freaking embarrassing, dude, paying for $2 worth of gas, because I, could, I didn't, couldn't fill up the tank, dude. I had $2 worth of gas in coins, like including pennies in there. Like, think about how, how tough of a situation that is. And um, it's really hard to have a, an abundance mentality when you're going through struggles and stuff like that. Um, but I just, dude, I remember seeing people who I focused on the goal, you know, I focused on what the lifestyle would be. I didn't focus on my current situation. I, I looked outside the box. It's hard to do that when you're, when you're inside this, uh, difficult state of 
you know, oh my, I can't see, I can't see outside my situation right now. Um, but when you focus on the goal, it helps you push through some of those limits. And just, I remember reading some books. I, I think it was um, the richest man of Babylon has, has a little story in there where he's like, listen, like wealth is abundant, meaning there's no limit to wealth. Like it's like sunlight. Like you can't take sunlight. I can't take sunlight from you. RJ, because there's an abundance of it. You know what I mean? Like people get right. think that wealth changes hands. Not necessarily. Like it's not like there's a, a finite amount of wealth. It's just people who know how to manage wealth are the ones who attract wealth. And um, it's like oxygen, dude. There's not a there's not a limit of oxygen. I'm not I'm not mad about somebody else breathing because they're taking oxygen away from me. I'm, I'm still able to breathe fine. And so wealth is the same way. Like you can take a vacant lot and build a house on it. Okay, so I built, I, I buy the lot for a hundred thousand. I put another hundred thousand dollars into building a, a house on it, and all of a sudden it's worth three hundred thousand dollars. I just took something from nothing and created a hundred thousand dollars worth of value. Now I go and sell that that house. It's worth three hundred thousand dollars to somebody. They give three hundred thousand dollars to me. I have three hundred thousand dollars, but they still have an asset that's worth three hundred thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? Like. Like, right. what if, and then I go do it again. So like I created something from nothing and that mindset just kind of stuck with me. Like it's, it's not that like, I, I can just go do another deal. I can go find another opportunity. Like I, there's enough stuff out there where I'm not taking from anybody else. They're not taking from me. I give all my strategies on how to find deals and how to find buyers, how to build a buyer's list, how to find private money to like all these guys. I, I run a, just a local kind of get together mastermind event. Uh, like a couple times a year in Cleveland, just for some other like local people, and I, I give them all my. They're in my market, and I give them all my strategies, and I don't care because my idea is, what if we can joint venture? What if I could do more by doing less? What if I teach them how to go find good deals? And because I taught them, and they're appreciative to me, maybe they bring it to me to finance it, and then maybe we do a 50-50 split. I'll go raise the money, they go do the deal. I don't have anything to do with this deal, and I'm just, I'm just the intermediary, intermediary raising the private money. And how many deals can I do like that? An infinite amount, you know, and I'm doing less, I'm doing more by doing less. And so um, I think when you just have that mindset, you realize how much more opportunity there is out there. It's not a finite amount of opportunity. Um, there's, there's so much that you can do, so much that you can partner on. Like I like these apartment buildings because there's so much juice in the squeeze on these things that I can give away a majority of the equity, raise money, no problem, partner up with somebody who's a phenomenal operator. Like I know you and I were talking about that deal out in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Didn't end up popping, unfortunately, but if I would have, dude, I would have brought you guys in maybe as operators, given you equity in the deal. I could have financed the entire thing. I still give my financiers some equity. Dude, if I kept 20%, 30% of that deal and had nothing to do with it after that, other than just looking at financial statements once a month, and we had a 200 unit apartment complex in Fort Worth, Texas, that was running like clockwork, that's a home run of, uh, for me, you know? So I think, right. you know, there's, there's, you can be a renaissance man, you can be awesome at everything that you do, um, meaning finding deals, raising money, like operating the deal and, and all the transactional pieces as well, or you might have a unique ability in just raising money. You know, RJ, you're seen as a, as a credible person. You could go probably raise a lot of money for apartment building deals and go and partner up with somebody who is a phenomenal operator, but they have a tough time raising money. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, man, listen, I'm going to raise money for you. Tell me how much of a down payment you need. Oh, you need a million bucks. Let me make a couple phone calls. Boom, here you go. And you handle it. Just give me 20% of the equity in the deal. And now you're not having anything to do with that. And think about like 
how many projects you could have 20% of across the entire country without having to right. operate it for doing work one time, yet it creates a residual value for you. And so like that's a really powerful thing um, that, that I've realized over the past couple of years. Like you focus on your unique ability and uh, what you're really good at and what you like doing. Um, it opens up a lot of doors for you. And the thing about real estate investing is that I see a lot of the top players, the people that are truly successful, they have that mindset that you just talked about. And it, it's not about trying to do every deal yourself or alone. It's about how can I leverage my time, my abilities, and and create that wealth for myself, but also for the people that you're partnering with as well. Sure. And, it's one of the things that I love the most about real estate investing. It's part of what has resonated with me. It's why it's my passion is because of the opportunities to be creative, to partner with people. Like you said, if I have a great ability to raise private capital and that gets me in deals at a 20% equity, I mean, yes, why wouldn't I do that all day, every day, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, it, one of the things I always ask guests is what is your why? I think we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but is there something more? What What is a driving force behind you creating this wealth for you and your family? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a, a two-year-old and, and a newborn. I think that's that's definitely part of my why. Um, it's kind of a sellout when, when people only talk about their kids or something. Uh, there's definitely an ego piece to it. You know, like I, I, it's just uh, – Wealth building is a game, a way to keep scores by how much money you got. And, um, you know, it's just pushing myself to the next level. And, and um, if you're not growing, you're dying kind of a thing. And I, I have that ingrained in my mind of, uh, you know, just wanting to see, push my limits. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? If I go friggin' bankrupt, which I'm not going to because I'm never over leveraged. Uh, but even if I did, worst case scenario, you could take everything away, but you couldn't take away my, my knowledge, you know, and then you just go build it again, build it again. So it's... um. You know, I, my, my kids, my family, creating a legacy, just generational wealth, um, you know, making an impact on other people is like huge for me. Um, getting those getting those notes of saying I impacted somebody's life and, and uh, uh, somebody shooting me a message saying, hey, man, thank you for posting that. I really needed that today. Or, uh, you know, like anything like that where people can take their life to the next level and have a better relationship and have a better bank account and have a better health and um, um, a better mental state. You know, I think, I think a rising tide floats all boats. And I think if there's more people across the country and across the world who are doing better, being better, having better, um, I, I think it's going to create a better world for my kids, my grandkids, you, you know, um, my great grandkids and, and, and you think about richest man of Babylon, the reason that was the richest city in, in the entire world, in the history of the world, is because everybody had this common mindset and common understanding of how to create wealth and how to build wealth and, um, you know, what was important in life. So, you know, I, I, I it's funny, like, I, I always wanted to be like, ah, I'm going to be a billionaire one day, I have a billion dollar portfolio. And then I was like, once I had a kid, I was like, oh, you know, it's more about the family stuff. And so I don't need a billion dollar portfolio. And so I was a lot more generous in giving away deals or like partnering on deals and stuff. And what's happened is the complete opposite. Like now I'm, I'm going to have a billion dollar portfolio because I'm less stressed about trying to keep 100% of the project, you know, like, so it's funny how, I don't know, the world feeds you on, on some of that stuff and the universe feeds you. And when you put it out there, um, what can come back to you when you make a statement, uh, you know, to the to the world, to the universe? But um, yeah, man, my, I mean, my driving factors are 
you know, just personal development, helping other people, um, making sure my, my family is taken care of and, and putting my kids in the right mindset to help other people and make a, a generational impact and see how many people they can, they can impact as well. So it's, uh, I can promise, I can promise you that who, whoever listens to this interview, if they take heed on the advice that you've given, they're definitely, it's going to make a difference for them and you're going to impact people's lives. I mean, you've shared a lot of great advice as far as raising capital and and mindset and and what it takes to to grow that generational wealth that you're talking about where do you want to be in five years from now um you know people are like i want to be on a beach that's like what initially came into my mind and then i'm like i don't want to be on a beach because i get bored you know i like i like right. meeting with people i like helping people i like uh you know i'm, I'm not gonna I don't want to be in the education game, but I love, like, I just hold a mastermind and I, and I call the best business owners locally that I know. And I just put them in a group of 10, 12, 15 guys uh, on a quarterly basis. And then we, and then we tag it with a, with a fun event. So like we went to the Cavs game um, just the other night and, and did a one day mastermind. And it was like, holy shit, man, this is amazing. And this is so much fun and blah, blah, blah. So like, I like doing that. I like being a connector of people. Um, and I think naturally, helping other people, like helping my team, like realizing that I'm responsible for my team's um, wealth and, and well-being and, and putting their families uh, in, in nice homes with clothes on their back, food on their table, kids through college, like all that kind of stuff is, is a driving force for me too. And so, um, you know, hey, I, I want to make, I want to help a thousand people, you know, become millionaires. It's kind of like my, my driving force. So, um, so if I can do that, I mean, I'm going to have as much wealth as I could ever imagine. Like, I, I like to think, hey, five years from now, I got whatever, $250 million worth of, uh, worth of a portfolio or um, property in my, in my portfolio. Um, but honestly, man, I, I, think, I think once you get that momentum going, I think it, it can get even bigger and bigger and snowball effect, and it compounds uh, pretty significantly. And so um, I can't even think about where I'm going to be five years from now. Like, that's kind of my goal. But... If, if you asked me five years ago if I'd be where I am today, I, I couldn't even see outside my current situation five years ago of how I was going to pay my credit card bill or how I was going to put gas in my car. So it's um, it's hard. Like I, I set like 90-day goals and one-year goals, and I know as long as I hit those goals, um, everything else will be taken care of. Absolutely. For the listeners that want to reach out and contact you, what's the best way that they can they can contact you? Yeah, hit me up on social media on on Facebook is really the only thing I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn too, but I never go on it. Um, so uh, Facebook's cool, and you guys can email me. My email is brats b r a t z at c l e turnkey.com. So brats at clevelandturnkey.com. B r a t z at c l e T-U-R-N-K-E-Y.com. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today. Uh, yeah, man, thank you. An incredible interview, man. And uh, really appreciate you sharing everything that you shared with us today. Absolutely, brother. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. You're making a big impact on people's lives. So I really appreciate you and what you're doing. I appreciate it. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, RJ. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault.